Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a series called Work and Rest, where we are exploring these life-giving rhythms God has designed for us. Thanks for joining us. Hey, uh, my name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're starting a new series today called Work and Rest. It's going to be nine weeks, and some of you are saying, during the summer, you want to talk about work? Yep. Because most of us still are, and we'll all... Some of us will have opportunities to rest as well, but we want to talk about that. And uh, if you're following along, um, what I want to talk to you today about can uh, be summarized in these first couple lines here. We must recapture these two God-designed life-giving rhythms. We must recapture these two God-designed life-giving rhythms. Why? The most recent Gallup research, global research, has shown that 13% of employees in the world are engaged at work. That's like one out of 10. When I talk to business leaders, when I talk to CEOs, when I talk to different people that are responsible for hiring, we're in trouble. They can't find people to work. If they do find people to work, they don't work hard. They expect more, they feel entitled. There is a difficult time. The pride that we had as a country years ago in our work ethic has dropped massively. Obviously, there's exceptions. I'm thankful. But overall, and it's not just one age group. It's every age group. And so this is a concern, and we've talked about the great resignation, where more and more people say, I would rather have the government pay me than go to work, some kind of thing like that. And we're just seeing that. And along with that, there's been a rise in anxiety at a level that is astronomical. So why do we need this series? Why do we need to recapture these two God-designed, life-giving rhythms? Because we, we want to see that turn around. And especially for those of us that name the name of Christ, this subject, we have a way of thinking about work that is such a blessing if we'll recapture it. So I want to talk to you about that this morning. And um, really, there's just one. This is going to be, I'm responsible for four out of the next five. And we're going to then cover four weeks of rest. But what I want to do today is just get something on the table. Okay, because here's the sentence that I want you to take with you to the car. Here it is. How we think, if you're following along, how we think about work determines how we do our work. How we think about work determines how we do our work work. Um, Over the years, uh, when we've gone away to plan series, uh, the the teaching pastors uh, and the worship pastors, when we've gone away, what we've discovered is, is that there's different passages of scripture, different sections of scripture, different topics that we feel like are important to talk about. And one of the ones that I had been lobbying for in the last three or four years was talking about work. And there's a reason. About four years ago, a friend of mine recommended a book by Tim Keller. I think we've got a picture of it. This book's called Every Good Endeavor. I'm going to be talking about it more during the series because Tim Keller's understanding of Scripture when it comes to the subject of work was absolutely refreshing to me. It also reminded me of things that I forget about work myself it encouraged me in the right direction. And so, again, I'll I'll just mention that for now. I'll come back to that later. But again, one of the things that I realized is that it all goes back to how I think about work. 
And I don't know if you're able to notice this in yourself, but there are just times that the way I think about things is not informed by the scripture, it's informed by my culture, or it's informed by something that I'm not even conscious of sometimes. So here's what I want to do. If you turn your notes over on the back, what I'd like to do is just have you, you know, what's our starting point today? Or where are you at right now in this chapter of your life when you hear the subject of work? Now, before we look at that, let me just read something. Uh, Leland Riken on his book called Work and Leisure says this, we signal our uneasiness about our attitudes towards work by our quips. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Work fascinates me. I can sit and watch it for hours. Thank God it's Friday. Hard work may not kill me, but why take a chance? I'm not lazy. I just don't like to work. I recently saw a license plate, he writes, that said, retired, no more worry, no more hurry, no more boss. He says, work is a problem for all of us. We do not go around saying, thank God it's Monday. When we overwork, we feel guilty about the way work robs us of time for other areas of life, including family activities and our devotion to God. At other times, we feel guilty for disliking our work. Can you relate to that? So I don't know what your starting point is this morning, but let me just tell you that uh, the Greek, the Greeks, the Greek uh, Roman world had a view of work that was very, very clear. And um, what they said about work uh, fascinates me. Again, let me, let me just share this with you. Um, Tim Keller writes this. If I can find it, where did I put it? I must have, okay. Um, I'll just tell you what it says since I can't find it. He said that Socrates and many other people after that said that menial work was dehumanizing. They said that if you did manual labor, that it was it was undignified. And therefore, if you did something with your mind, that was important. But the Greeks had an idea that the body was unimportant. This material world was unimportant. Therefore, anything that had to do with touching the material world or using your body like that was less. Now, I bring all that up because that's very much informed where we are in the United States. The way that people think about work is there's extremes. And if you look at this on the back there, you'll see this spectrum is that now we see work primarily as a necessary evil, as something I have to do in order to make a living. It's about making money. And also some people misinterpret scripture and think that God cursed work. We're going to see that's not true. But again, that's the presenting thing. And so people have this idea that if paradise could really take place for me right now, it would be to avoid work, to get out of work, to not have to work. But the other extreme is to see it as too important. In other words, we see work not only as a way to make money, which there's nothing wrong with making money, but if that's our primary motive, it's going to really skew which jobs we take or how we look at work and things like that. But also, if I look at work as a, as a way to validate myself, as a way to get an identity, as a way to measure my self-importance, 
that ultimately will lead to burnout, workaholism, all kinds of things. I'll neglect my family. There's all kinds of ways like that. And so how do we understand and see work properly from God's viewpoint? Because again, if we make work primarily about self-fulfillment and self-gratification, which is where, again, most of us measure life now, will it make me happy? Then either way, we'll make a mistake of seeing it as unimportant or too important rather than important, but with limits. And so as we think about this together, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever written down the jobs you've done in your life? I leave some space there in the back of the notes if you want to try it this week. I did it this last week. I don't think I'd ever done it before. But what I noticed, I'm 61 years old, and what I noticed is that my very first job was 50 years ago. That made me feel old, by the way, just thinking about that. But when I was 11 years old, my parents, who made us do chores and other things like that, and I'm glad they did, an opportunity came up for me to deliver newspapers. And so I started delivering newspapers. That meant that I had to learn how to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, wrap papers, deliver them, And my dad taught me that just don't just throw it in the driveway. Put it in a place that's good for the person you're delivering it to. Find out where they want it delivered and deliver it. That meant running from dogs that were up too early in the morning and were unleashed. It meant a lot of things. It meant collecting back in those days where I had to go to people's houses. And when they didn't want to see me, they wouldn't answer the door. It meant perseverance, but on and on. And so I just wrote down some of these. I... I cut lawns. I delivered papers till I was 16. I cut lawns during some of that time. I started when I was 12 or 13. And learning how to do the job well and not running over things in people's yards that they wanted to still be there. Um, At 16, I started working in a men's clothing department at retail. Some of you have heard my grocery business stories. I worked at three different grocery stores. I did almost every job you can do in the grocery business. Um, And then I went into sales when I was in college, when I was first married. In fact, some of you don't know this, but in 1984, I was actually offered an investment broker job, the guaranteed salary the first year. And through conversations with my, my father, I sensed that God was calling me to be a pastor. There was nothing wrong with being an investment broker. I respect the people that are. But that's when, at 23 years old, I came to Springfield and had an opportunity to be a youth pastor Eventually was an associate pastor, then a lead pastor out in Iowa, then eventually a co-pastor with my dad here, then lead pastor here, and now equipping pastor, whatever that means, right? But I just think about some of the jobs. And I don't know if you thought about that, but you know, there's actually other jobs that are unpaid. Some of the volunteer work that I've done at the Dana Thomas house for 16 years gave tours there. I was thinking also just about the fact that when I was in youth group, We went to nursing home facilities, and each were given jobs to try and help there. And I remember that one Saturday, I was given the job of washing all the laundry. Now, I don't know if you know, but nursing homes have laundry that's not necessarily still clean. It has certain smells, has certain things on it. And I remember as a kid going, I got the short end of the straw. But as I changed my mind about that, I noticed that it was an honorable thing to help people that could no longer take care of themselves to have clean bedding and that I could look at that differently. 
And so what I want to talk to you today is how we think about work determines how we do our work. So if you turn your notes back over, what I want to do is I want to look through Genesis, the book of Genesis together. And I want to just start in the very first two chapters. Again, we'll be looking at other scripture during this series. But would you mind turning in your Bibles to Genesis 1? I would give you the page number, but it's the very first page of the Bible. The very first verse, the very, excuse me, very first chapter. And what I want us to see uh, here is uh, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. For those of you at home as well, the, the, the scripture will be on the screen. But let me start with verse 26, and let's just see, as God did creation, let's just see what we can learn about work. Verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. If you're following along in your notes, notice that God makes us in his image to be co-workers with him. God makes us in his image to be co-workers with him. Here's what the scripture teaches us about every human being that you've ever locked eyes with. They're made by God. And they have value. And they have dignity. You and I are made by God. We're made by God for God in order to do life with God. And so if you were to like open somebody's chest cavity, you know, sometimes we see made in the USA or made in China or whatever. It might be invisible, but you would see made by God for God to do life with God. That's why we were made. And the scripture tells us that this is our beginning point. But that means then that we have some of his likeness, that we actually are able to be his representatives and do things similar to what he's done. And so as co-workers with him, that is an honorable calling. But notice too, if you're following along, that God's cultural mandate means to co-create culture with him. God's cultural mandate here in these verses means to co-create culture with him. Our work is a continuation of God's work in the world. So when God created the world, he not only, this is not only a creation mandate that, hey, now you have a responsibility. I've given you a place in this world where there's going to be some responsibilities and some opportunities. But part of that isn't just to be co-workers with me, it's also to be co-creators with me. I've put a creativity in you. I've given you an, an ability to see a situation and develop it. And therefore, it means that we get a chance with God to make the culture around us better. That we can actually lift the culture. Now, what we're learning during these last two years is that we can also bring down the culture. But think about that. If we look at this as an opportunity to be co-creators with God. I thought about this as I was walking uh, down the hallway last Sunday. And I noticed that one of the people in our church saw some scraps of garbage on the floor. Someone had just accidentally dropped it out of their purse or Bible. And I watched as they walked by. 
And they beat me to it, but they picked it up and just put it in the garbage. And I thought to myself, they're creating culture. They're making it better. You and I have that opportunity. And one of the things that, again, I've been doing for over 25 years is trying to help teams, both inside and outside the church, think about how can we make the culture better, healthy, because we've been made by God with that opportunity and possibility. So, but notice we go on in Genesis 2, chapter 1, I mean, verse 1. Let me read some of that as well. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, what we see here is the makings of our nine-week series. If you're following along, notice that God uh, himself is a worker. He works and rests from his work. God himself is a worker. He works and rests from work. Do you see the rhythms? There's not, work is not all there is to life. We're not saying that. But we're also saying that rest isn't all there is from, about life. And so when we understand that God did both. Now, let me be clear about what rest is here, what it means here. It does not mean that God was tired. It does not mean that God was worn down. Whew, I'm so worn out. No, it's an act of delight. He is pausing to enjoy the fruit of his labor. There's got to be that. I was talking to a guy this week who was telling me about how he wants to be the best in his particular field. Uh, to my knowledge, I don't know if he knows God, but we were just having a breakfast and he was talking. And he said, it was, it was just fascinating when he was talking about that, he basically was saying that he was finding it very hard to rest and that he wasn't really able to stop and enjoy any of his successes because he was on to the next accomplishment. And that, that, can, that can be wearying. Our souls need these rhythms, work and rest, work and rest. And God shows us how he did it and he can help us do it. So if we go on here, let me read verses 3 through 15, and we'll bring this home. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. Isn't that an interesting line? Here's why some of those things hadn't happened yet, because there was no one to work the ground along with God. That's a fascinating thing. It's saying there's still some stuff that he's going to be doing that'll bring us into the story. Verse six, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. And it goes on to talk about how it's separated, but just this idea of a beautiful river in the garden. Then verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. 
If you're following along, God plants a garden and places the man in it. God plants a garden and places the man in it. This is fascinating to me. We see that God is already getting his hands dirty. He plants a garden. And as he's doing this, he literally is doing something on the earth that's holy and beautiful and powerful. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever been to a garden that took your breath away? Some of you read it a few weeks ago that Trish and I, as part of my new role as equipping pastor, is to visit some of our global mission partners around the world. So we visited Steve and Rhonda Ashworth, which our church supports them, has for over 30 years. And we visited them in Amsterdam. And along with hearing and learning about their ministry, they said, you're here at the right time for the Tulip Festival. So for eight weeks every year, they're in Holland, the largest garden in the world of 79 acres, a place called Kuchenhof, has beautiful, beautiful tulips, 7 million every year are freshly planted bulbs every year by 30 full-time gardeners. I have some pictures. Do we? Uh, yeah. That's just a couple of the tulips. I mean, it was staggering. And just like, okay, so as we're walking through this garden, I'm not even a flower person. And I was filled with awe. I saw the power of the beauty that God had put into creation. And I thought, oh my goodness, and these 30 gardeners, 7 million bulbs every year, and they do different designs every year. And the creativity is just amazing. And uh, again, they have, they, it's not easy work, but they do it. And it just, people, millions of people come every year to see this. Now, let me ask you another question. When you picture the Garden of Eden, how big do you picture it? Now, just to give you some idea, our church property, if you go out beyond the farmhouse to the tree line, is 72 acres. That means what we visit in Holland is seven acres more. It's just tulips. It's amazing. But also, uh, what do you picture? Do you picture a 12 by 10? I believe that it was breathtaking. If Kuchenhof is amazing, I believe the Garden of Eden was staggering. And God placed Adam there, and eventually Eve, woman, okay? Now, if you're following along, what I want you to see is that the man, and later the woman, is to care for, watch over, and develop the garden. The man is to care for, to watch over, and develop the garden. One author explains that um, these two words for to work it and take care of it that we find in verse 15 have meanings. So the first word is abad in Hebrew. And it not only means to work, but it also sometimes means service. And other times it means worship. That means that when the man and later the woman were placed in the garden to take care of it, it wasn't just work, it was worship. It was a way of serving God's purpose. It was a way of serving their purpose their purpose in life. But along with that, the word to care for it is the word in Hebrew called shamar. And that word means to cultivate, to develop, and draw out something's potential. In other words, God had planted in that garden tremendous amounts of potential, but it had to be drawn out. And therefore, they got a chance to participate in that. 
Friends, I just want to ask you, do you believe that this world was created good? Genesis tells us it was. Now, we're going to talk about next week how there was the fall. But I want to just ask you, do you believe in the goodness of God's creation? Because if you do, you believe in its potential. You believe that you have an opportunity to be part of drawing that out and cultivating that and developing that. But too often, if we're not careful, we think like the Greek or Roman world. We think this is a bad place or this is such a terrible place. And admittedly, it's not what it's supposed to be. But what's our response to that? It's an opportunity to cultivate. And so, again, as we think about this, let me just mention another thing. And that is, is that in Genesis 1 and 2, the word for work means ordinary human work. It means ordinary human work. Let me just show you a couple quotes here. Um, do we have that first one uh, that we have? Work, I love this definition that Keller gives for work. Work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. If someone were to follow you at your job, and I know some of you are retired, and I know some of you, again, um, can't work right now, or you're in between jobs, or your health doesn't allow, but, but even then, there's ways to still do work and worship and service and cultivation. But if someone were to follow you, would they say, you know what, wherever they go, they make the world better. Just the way they go about life. It's so obvious that they see an opportunity to lift instead of pull down. And they're into cultivating. Anyway, the idea here is, is that we can contribute to human flourishing as well as honor God. And I just find this very interesting. And so here's the next quote by Tim Keller that talks about this interesting thing that the word that used for God's work is a similar one. To sweep the street or to preach a sermon is bringing order out of chaos. It's taking the material world God loves and made and making it orderly and making it livable and redeeming it. We have to see that what we do, if you're an artist, you're just doing what God did. He's a creator and you're creating. But if you're sweeping a street or if I'm preaching a sermon, we're all trying to do basically the same thing. All our work has value before God. All work, in a sense, is work with our hands. And I just, I just find that to be such a compelling reminder and vision of how we can look at work differently than maybe our culture tells us to. So again, if you're following along, in God's eyes, even the most ordinary work has dignity and value. In God's eyes, even the most ordinary work has dignity and value. Here's one more quote by Keller. I find this again to be really helpful. Work has dignity because it is something that God does and because we do it in God's place as his representatives. All work has dignity because it reflects God's image in us. And also because the material creation we are called to care for is good. Caring for and cultivating this material world has worth, even if it means cutting the grass. I agree. You know, when I was a kid, uh, my parents made us dust our rooms. Uh, and I kept cursing dust. Because I kept thinking it comes back with amazing regularity. And I'd say to my parents, the same thing with homework. Why do I need to do this? You know what I understand now that I didn't understand as well when they told me then? 
because in many ways we were made to work and it does something to our soul rather than when we are lazy. And there's something about character getting developed by the rhythms of work when we do them. And one of the things that saddens me is that more and more people are even coming out of college and they've never worked a full day in their life. What, was that the goal? Was for us to provide our kids where they didn't need to learn the lessons of work? It's so important at a very early age to teach that work is good. Here's just one way to apply this message this week. What if, again, if you're going to a job, what if you say, work is good for me? Let's try it together. Just may, I know it's weird, but let's just try it together. Work is good for me. And if we really start believing that, if we think that, then the way we do work, now we can step into it and go, this is a good thing. This is going to be good for me. There may be parts I don't like as much, but this is good for me. Again, let me just keep going here. Work is a good thing and a core part of our humanity. Work is a good thing and a core part of our humanity. It's a gift from God. It's, it's more a part of this than we realize it. Friends, I, there was three months where I could not work after a car accident. And I was applying for jobs and I couldn't work. And I will just tell you that it's like summer vacation. I liked it the first week. I hated it the second, third, fourth, because I needed a purpose more than just lazing around. And so even retirement, we need to think about how we do retirement in a way that still looks for opportunities to do some kind of volunteer work or some kind of service, some kind of worship, some kind of caring for others. And if you're following along, here's this last idea before we talk about applying it. We can choose to honor God and bless others. We can choose to honor God and bless others. I think we have Colossians 3, 23 and 24 there. Um, we can put whatever you do, again, any kind of work you do, whether it's menial, whether it's you know, super well-paid, whether it's free, whether it's volunteer, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. Remember that the Lord will give you as a reward what he has kept for his people for Christ is the real master you serve. When you and I, like the man and woman in the garden, start realizing that God placed me here and I get to do it with him, for him, for his glory, but also to benefit other people, it just begins to call us higher than earning money or seeing it as a way to make an identity for ourselves or self-fulfillment. There's nothing wrong, by the way, when work is fulfilling, but if that's our primary goal, we will miss the opportunity to glorify God and serve other people. And so it's not about our own advancement as much as it is advancing God's work in the world. So as we think about this, let me just bring this home here. Doing work God's way, let me come back to my main idea here, is that how we think about work determines how we do our work. So notice that doing work God's way begins with a change of mind. If you're following along, it begins with a change of mind. Do I believe God? The idea here I listed out to the right, Romans 12, it says, do not be conformed to this world in the way this world thinks, its value system, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to live out the will of God. So we need our minds changed. I, I need my mind changed. Friends, if you think this message is for you and not for me, no way. 50 years after my first job, I still each day have to remind myself, 
Work is good for me. And this is an opportunity to glorify God and serve other people if I will look at it that way. And so uh, there was a story years ago that I heard about a mother who was uh, all the rest of her children and her husband had uh, gotten sick or one of them had broken their leg. And so it was all, it had all fallen on her. And so she was walking in the kitchen one day and she just was wanting to pour out her heart. And she says, she was getting ready to say, I have so much to do. But somehow she slipped and said, I have so much to love. And it changed the way she looked at her work. And you know, it wasn't that she didn't have a lot to do. She did, but she had a lot to love. And that change of mind changed the way she treated her family after that. Now, let me just say this, is that this last idea is that doing work God's way begins where God's placed me. Am I honoring him? Am I blessing others? So it begins where God's placed me. So let me ask you, where did God place you right now? Where are you? My mom used to have a little sign in her laundry room that says, bloom where you are planted. Bloom where you're placed. What if you could right now in your corner of the world? So let me just tell you a quick story. Some of you uh, know that in high school, I um, worked in the grocery business, but my senior year in high school, God did something the summer before my senior year where he absolutely brought me to a place of total humbling and yielding myself 100% to him. I had believed in him before that, but I had never really, really come to a place of dying to myself and just giving my life every day to him. But my senior year, that's what I aimed to do. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I was making a lot of money, by the way, at the grocery business for my age. It was good, good work, and I liked it. But we were going through the lunch line that day, and uh, again, in the cafeteria, I don't know what your experience was in school, but as we were going through, there was the typical complaining and cutting down the food and everything. And I always felt a little sorry for the kitchen workers because they were, you know, sometimes they heard the worst of it, right? But we had a really nice uh, ladies in the, in the kitchen there. And so I'll never forget, as everybody's getting their tray, this, the head lady says, uh, hey, we just want to announce that we need someone to wash dishes and we'll pay, this is 1979, we'll pay $5 and you get all your meals free. And I remember the very first thought I had is, boy, I hope someone uh, that could use that job gets that job. I didn't need the money. I, my, my meals were paid for. I, I just thought, boy, I hope someone needs that. So I got my food and uh, went back to my seat. And as soon as I put my tray on the table, you know, some of you say, how do you know when God's talking to you? Sometimes God talks to you when he says the opposite thing that you're thinking. Not always, but that was like, as soon as I put my tray down, God says, I want you to go back and take that job. Now, what you don't know is that in our high school there, there was this great big open square where everybody brought their trays and the person in the window there that was washing the dishes, they took endless grief. So now I'm picturing myself being that person behind the window and I'm going, hmm, it's not really going to advance my status. <laughs> and, but God just goes across the mind. I want you to go. So fortunately, I obeyed him. I don't always. I walked back to the lady. And I said, hey, has anybody taken that job? She goes, no. I said, I'll take it. She said, really? I said, yeah. She said, when do you want me to start? She said, can you, as soon as you get done eating? I said, okay. So I ate and I went back there and they showed me that first day how to do it and everything like that. Now my parents have taught me, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart. 
So I remember thinking, I got a choice to make. Am I going to do this wholeheartedly or half-heartedly? You know, because, again, my mind was thinking this work is not important. It's not that good, right? God reminded me, no. Live for an audience of one. Live for me. Honor me. So I just started doing dishes, and sometimes I would hum, and then I started meeting some of the different kitchen staff. And one of the ladies that was the age of my parents was working there, over the next week or two, started complimenting me and saying stuff. And then we started talking. I learned more about her life. And she poured out her heart that her husband had been unfaithful to her, and she was in the middle of going through divorce. And again, one of her kids was my age, and so there's just brokenheartedness. And I told her, I said, well, I'm going to pray for you. And we started to pray, and I started sharing Bible verses with her. And all of a sudden, I realized that God had placed me there for two reasons. One was to learn that work is good, any kind of work, change my mind, and to be a person, if possible, that was available for human flourishing. Later that school year, I was in a musical called The Clown. I was the clown. <laughs> and it was a testimony, and that woman and her kids came and heard me talk about Jesus being the answer. And she eventually wrote me a letter that said, Thank you for helping me remember what's most important in life. Now, all I, that sounds like a glory story. It's more about the fact God had to remind me that our work matters, whether it's volunteer, whether it's caring for children, whether it's teaching, whether it's whatever it might be, it matters. And can I just say to you, can you imagine in our city, if we get this right, can you imagine how our city will be lifted if tomorrow on Monday you say, thank God it's Monday. Work is good for me. I have an opportunity to honor God and serve people, bless people. And maybe no one will see me. I'm in a corner. But show me, God, how to tend the garden you've placed me in. I believe, I believe this is part of what it means to be a witness in our world. This is Cherry Hills on the move, scattered. So what we like to do is we like to um, prepare for communion. And so would you mind just bowing your head for a moment? What is surfacing for you about your work situation? Is God showing you an area where you need to change your mind with him? That your mind needs to be renewed again because maybe it's fallen down like mine has at times? What is he saying to you? Just take a moment. And then we'll take communion together. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.